0: So now we're going to look at the life of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. When I started researching Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, I realized very quickly that if we wanted to take now a six-week tangent, I'm not exaggerating, on Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, we could do that. Because even before we discuss the life of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, we have to discuss the period in which Hilel and Shammai left us off. And you're talking about the eve of the destruction of the Benamikdash. This is the last generation before the Migdash is going to be destroyed. You have here not just the regular denominations that you and I are familiar with that exist in the Second Temple. If it's the, the Perushim, the Pharisees, and the Tzedokim, and the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and, and the early Christians, you have already in the rabbinic group Jews that are breaking up into camps. Can you tell me which camp they're in? There's, uh, there's a breakaway group of rabbis, not rabbis per se, but of Pharisee Jews. The Pirushim, that's us, but a breakaway of the Pirushim. It's
1: okay.
0: No, no, they're still part of the Pirushim. A more radical element of the Pirushim. Uh, are
1: you talking about like, the Kanaim? Or the very good, yeah, yeah, very good.
0: The, the Zealots, the Zealots which go by many names. There's the Kanaim, some the Bilyonim. Some are the Sakrikim or the Sakurai, known in English, based on the sword it seems that they used. Groups of Jews that were ultra-nationalists, if we could call them that. And their whole purpose was to fight against foreign occupation of the Jewish country at any cost, even if that meant destroying the Jewish people in their way. So these were nationalists whose nationalism superseded their care for actual preservation of the nation, which is very unique. I don't think that we've ever solved this problem. And much of the problem is that in rabbinic literature, as much as rabbinic literature is built not to promote fanaticism. No, this is already the end of that, that generation. So this is already gen- like I'm the end of that period. These are those who led to the destruction of the Second Temple. And we'll talk about them in a moment in rabbinic literature, as much as I would love to tell you that rabbinic literature is all about balance and sanity and, and the middle road, there are elements of zealousness or zealotry that are praised by our rabbis. That remember the story of Pinchas? We say that Pinchas was a zach kine'l mecha, and in we're going to say, was a pure zealot for your name. And I've spoken here many times about Pinchas and the mixed feelings we have about Pinchas. But we know one thing is certain that even though what he did was in accordance to halakha, was it the halakha? No. Well well, what's remember the status of Halakha, Bapitch, the zealot? There's a special status in what he did has. A Maureen K. It's a halakha. He did the right thing. But if he would have gone to the Bet Adin, they would not have told him to do what he did. Meaning it was not rabbinically sanctioned until after it happened. After it happened, he ended up being the good guy in the story. But the action itself was an act of zealotry which our rabbis were not looking forward to. If he would have gone to kill Zimri. And Zimri, as an act of self-defense, killed Pinchas first, Zimri would be innocent. Because that was a just act of self-defense. And so what you have in this period, and it's really not my intent to get into this, but it's something that if we wish to deal with the demons that haunt the Jewish people today, when it comes to nationalism and the the dangers, and the value that that ideology has. It would be wise for us to learn from the mistakes of the Second Temple, where there was a group of people, not that the rabbis couldn't keep in check. You find the Rabbi Akiva, the Rambam said about him, that he was the arms bearer of Bar Kokhba, now, many people are upset at the Rambam. What is your source? Where did you get that from? Nonetheless, what we do know is Rabbi Akiva was a supporter of Baal until he no longer was. Until he becomes Bar Koziva, that goes from the star of Israel to the disappointment of Israel. He said it was the Mashiach. That's right. And in this generation, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is dealing with a, a torn apart Jewish establishment. A Jewish community, not just among the various denominations, but even inside of the camp of the Pharisees. There's a lot to be spoken about, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and the fact that even though he lived a life that was purely dedicated to Torah, somehow he still had the ear of the wealthy and popular leaders, the wealthy Jews of his generation, were always at his table there was some kind of relation there that requires research and analysis and so i suggest to you if you have time i've suggested this before and i, I hesitate in signing off on everything that this author writes like any other time he has what to share rabbi dr benny lau has done a fantastic job in his book our sages at setting the groundwork for this period. And particularly the things that I just mentioned to you, he deals with them at length. And I, I recommend if you have a copy to look at it, and if you don't, to get yourself a copy. All that being said, let's jump into the life of Rabbi Yohanan Ben Zakai. I sent out a PDF in the Google Classroom. It's attached to the Zoom invitation. It says Rabbi Yohanan Ben Zakai on it. So just say at the top of the page, 495 or 496, do you see that? Do you see this PDF? It's in the Google Classroom, attached to the Zoom invitation. Did did anybody find it? Did it not go out today? You haven't? You see this PDF? Good, OK. So I'm on page three of that PDF, which is say 496, on the top left of the page. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabban is a very interesting title. It's not rabbi. It's not Rabbi. It's not harav. It's Rabban. It's a title of respect. Unique. To Chachamim. But Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai seems to be the only one who has this, not due to the family he comes from, but due to the hard work he put in, becoming Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai. We'll read about that in just a moment. The bottom of page 496. He is the giant of the sages of Israel and the first generation of the authors of the Mishnah. In the generation before the destruction of the temple. And in the 10 years that are after the destruction of the temple, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is still leading them. So he is essentially the rabbi of transition between the destruction of the Benemikdash and rebuilding the Jewish people after the destruction of the Benemikdash. He's the youngest of the students of Hillel. So not just before we said smallest, also the youngest. And after Hillel passes away, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai becomes his primary disciple and his replacement. His rabbi, Hillel, saw greatness in him. And he prophesied before his death Sheehe 497, quote, Av lechokma, Av Dorot. He will be the father of wisdom and the father of the generations. Kiirmiya hanavi, like Yirmiya hanavi in his generation, Ken haya Rabban Yohanan ben zakai, ed re'iya lechoban hemikdash. Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai was an witness to the destruction of the Ben Benemikdash. Like Yirmiyahu. I mentioned Yirmiyahu lately, one of my shiurim the leadership that Yirmiyahu Hanavi showed during the destruction of the Ben Hamikdash is, is heart-wrenching, but also phenomenal. Asher tzibamu merosh, what was unique in B'arabah Yochanan ben Zakkai, was that he was expecting the destruction to happen. machad v'hu hu sh'lo he was the one that rose up and made sure the generation, the people, would not lose their path when destruction hit the Jewish people. <laughs> Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai took over spiritual leadership of the people when they were just about to be exiled or destroyed. And the last remnants of their political freedom would be taken away from them. The last shreds of political freedom. It says here something interesting. The Rabban Yochallam ben Zakkai was expecting the destruction. There are leaders that are not willing to expect the worst. They never prepare themselves for the worst that might happen. Maybe it's a positive trait. They're always looking for the best in people in the generation. They're always looking out for the good. But it also means that they never are prepared to deal with tragedy or disaster when it happens. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was a leader who knew the Ben Hamidash was going to be destroyed. He didn't want it to be destroyed. And he knew that he had to lead the people on the right path so that when the Ben Hamidash would be destroyed, they would not be abandoned. They would not be alone. Mori Harav Yaakov Peretz in Gush Katif when they were planning to force Jewish people out of their homes. There are many rabbis, it won't happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never let it happen. We came to this land, we'll never leave this land. Harav Peretz went from place to place telling people, pack your bags, get your things ready. You have wives, you have husbands, you have children, you have families, you can't just let yourself get thrown out. You have to have a plan. Where are you going to go live? Where's your money? Is your property in order? Are your valuables in order? Do you have food for your babies? It's going to happen. It can happen. And if you don't prepare for it, it's going to be your fault. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai knew the destruction was happening, and he had a plan on how to save the Jewish people. Lefia Masoret, based in Jewish tradition, Rabban Yuchanan ben Zakkai lived 120 years. Who does that remind you of? Who else lives 120 years? Moshe Rabbeinu. Very good. A leader. The number tells you that he had leadership qualities that were similar to Moshe Rabbeinu. 40 years he worked in business. 40 years he worked in of those 120, he learned Torah. And then 40 years he spent teaching Torah. And when he was learning by Hillel, he was still a young man. And nonetheless, even though he was so young, his rabbi, from the purity of his tongue, already knew that this young man, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, was going to be a great leader. And like it says in Masechet Pesachim, Hillel Hazaken was certain that his student Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai would be a posaic, a halachic ruler in the Jewish people. Now rabbis tell us that from a thousand students that entered the Beit midrash, 500 make it to the study of Talmud. 250 make it to the study of Halakha. And one of those 250 ever make it to ruling Halakha properly. And therefore, if you have 500 students who enter the yeshiva, and 250, and then how many are you left with? Half a posek? It's like the generation we're in right now. He Zakan from when he was a young man. His rabbi already knew about him, that he was going to be a leader in Halakha in the Jewish people. He was considered the smallest, the most inferior of all the students of Hilen. He was praised by the Rabbis in his brilliant mastery of all of Torah and wisdom. This is what the Rabbis said about him. He never left a pasuk that he did not know. Mishnah that he did not know. Gemara that he did not know. Halachot he did not know. Vagado that he did not know. He knew all of those things. Dikdukei Torah the particulars of the Torah and of the writings of the rabbis. Kalim v'chamurim, the strict laws and the lighter laws. Guzerot Shavot and all the comparisons in Torah law who knew all the seasons, the constellations, the gematriot, we mentioned it last time, Rabbi Osev Masas has a more rational reading of this, speaking with the angels, speaking with the demons, speaking with the trees, the parables of the launderers, the parables of the foxes, all things big and small. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai was a master of wisdom. There was nothing you could ask him he did not know about. And he was the smallest of the students of Hillel Zakkai. So you can imagine what the greatest student was? Can you imagine who the teacher was? Who was he Lechol zakha, atzuma. He merited all of these things because of his diligence. It's important to know that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai does not seem to have come from some prestigious rabbinic family. He comes as a student of Hillel, a man who spent the first 40 years of his life working as a regular person. But he makes it to the top because of his diligence. Amruh <speaking in Hebrew> alav, they said about him, Shem <speaking> chulin, <Hebrew> that never in his life did he speak a mundane conversation. V'lo halach Torah v'lo he never walked for amod, without Torah and without tefillin. V'lo kadmo adam bebet midrash, Nobody ever made it to the study hall before him. And he never slept in the bed of Midrash. He never actually went to sleep in the bed of Midrash, and he never fell asleep, even for a moment in the bed of Midrash. Meaning the whole time that he was there, he was engaged. He was conscious. He was involved. He never left the bed of Midrash when there was still someone sitting inside of it. So Hillel... He was there first, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was there first, he was the one to leave last, and the whole time that he was there, he was engaged in the learning. You never ever found Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai just sitting around doing nothing. He was always sitting and repeating his learning. So you might think he lived in some ivory tower. Some learned man stayed in the four walls of the Bet of Midrash. Listen to this. Nobody ever opened the door for his students. Meaning only he did. When a Tamich comes into a room, what do you do? Use that. Maybe Halachot. Halachot that are written in Shulchan Aruch, that are written in the Rambam. Peliyoid says that most people don't know these halakhot because rabbis don't teach these halakhot because nobody wants, no rabbi wants people to think that the rabbi is trying to teach everybody how to respect them. So I'm talking, Allah Peretz would come here, we'd stand up for him. We'd kiss his hand. He would come to the door, what would we do? We'd open the door for him. He comes into line, what do we do? You let him go ahead, and, who has to let him go ahead in line? Everybody, everybody. Tamecha comes to line, he doesn't have to stand in line. But so on and so forth. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, even though his students were Talmidei Khamim, nobody was able to get the door for them before he ran to get the door for them. He opened up the door for his own students. I don't know if, you're, if you can appreciate when the master looks at the students and says, I still respect you. It's very rare. This vertical relationship sometimes gets stuck in that position. Rabbi Necham zakai is teaching them, but even though he was teaching them, he still respected his davar, And he never said any teaching, that he never heard from his Rabbi. If you would ask him for something that his teachers had not taught him, he wouldn't speak about. Even if he had an opinion, he wouldn't speak. And we've discussed this already in the past. Is that a virtue? Is that not a virtue? Is that being frozen? Is that being dynamic? We spoke about this in a different shoe. On page 498. In his first years. Probably in those years where he was busy doing business. He would sit outside of Jerusalem. It's a city that the author of that, like the Encyclopedia says, we know where it is in the Galilee, the lower Galilee. And there he was issuing rulings, like it says in Mishnah Shabbat. But it happens to be that at that time, the majority of the Jews who were living in the Galilee were ignoramuses. They were not learned people. They didn't particularly care for the study of Torah. Like many cities in the world. If you think about how many people come for the kiddush on Shabbat morning versus how many people come for the Shi'ur and Torah, you can't compare. Why can't you compare? Because most people are a meha'arit. They don't want to study. They don't care to study. Based on one tradition, Yashav Rabban Yochanan ben zakai He lived in this place, in the city for 18 years. And only two halachic questions were ever asked of him in the 18 years that he sat as the rabbi of this place. I mean, nobody cared about Torah. When he left the Galilee, he spoke to the Galilee and said, Galil, Galil, Galilee, Galilee, Sinat Torah, Sanet HaTorah, you hated the Torah? Ultimately, what will happen is that your land will be given to the tormentors of Israel. A few years before the destruction of the temple, Rabban Ben Zakai makes it to the position where he is one of the primary Torah teachers in public. And he would sit in the shade of the sanctuary of the B'nai V'doresh kol kulon, he would teach Torah the whole entire day, sitting in the shade of the bed of Let's skip a few lines down. The first word is Al. Al bet Midrashod. darshu. About the house of study of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, our rabbi said, V'tkol bayit gadol saraf ba'esh, that this house, great house was burned in the fire, you might think it's talking about the ben Migdash. No. Our Rabbi say that is the house of study of Rabban Yohanan Ben-Zakai. Because there they would study the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Now when his house of study was destroyed, it was as if the great home of Akadosh Baruch was destroyed. So we have Rabban Yohanan Ben-Zakai, the student. Rabban Yohanan Ben-Zakai, the businessman. Rabban Yohanan Ben-Zakai, the one who is a rabbi in an unpopular area of Israel, then ultimately has a Bed Midrash, where everyone comes to learn from him in the shade of the bet Midrash. What's he spending so much time in Jerusalem for? B'Shivto Sanhedrin, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And when he sat in the Sanhedrin, Anu We found that he was very particular in how he would interview the witnesses. So two witnesses come to say that so-and-so did an averah, he needs to be executed. Rabban Yochanan ben zakai he was not too fond of executing people. And so he would spend much time trying to exonerate the people by inter- interrogating the witnesses very intensely. And he tried very hard to find a contradiction between the two witnesses and therefore nullify their testimony, and through this method, to save those who were uh, in trial, to save them from the death penalty. It's very interesting. Is Is he doing the right thing? Or is he, there's a word for it in English that's slipping my mind. Or is he essentially attacking, throwing a wrench in the machinery of the system of law? What is al Yehuda ben Zagai really doing? Is he perverting justice, or is he getting justice? Once he asked the witnesses, "How much so did he want to show that they were liars?" They mentioned they were in a certain place where there were figs, and so he asked them about the uh, how do you call this the the stem of the fig? Yeah, the top part? The stem of the fig, what size it was, what color it was, just to show that these two witnesses were contradicting each other. The Rambam, in this commentary, in the Mishnah, he mentions that this was not Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai's Beit This story happened. Hillel Hazaken was interrogating the witnesses, and Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai suggested to Hillel to interrogate the witnesses about even the shape and the size of the stem of the fig in order to get these Jews off the, uh, off of death row. He was really considered one of the most important members of the Sanhedrin. And perhaps he served alongside the Nasi, who was Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, the first. On page 499, there was one particular enactment that was enacted in the years leading up to the destruction of the temple that was done by Rabbi al Zakai. He stopped the drinking of the sota waters. To a woman who was accused of cheating on her spouse. Is anyone familiar with Mishnayot, Mishnah Sotah? what happened over there, what's going on over there? There's a few halachot that were stopping it. You,
1: you mean that he that he stopped the the ceremony of the sota uh. because there were too many so many adulterers in Israel that like it wasn't even Effective at judging
0: people anymore? It's like everybody was guilty. Oh, not literally everybody, but enough people were guilty. Very good. I believe I believe the language of the Mishnah. From when the the adulterers began to increase and multiply in the Jewish people, Rabban stopped at giving them the giving of the Sotah water. Why? Why did he do it? You mentioned that it's not effective. anyone know why it's not effective? The sata water would essentially execute the woman who was an adulteress.
1: Effective. Effective
0: Something's with your microphone, Abba. Okay, I think my father said it anyway. It's, effect- it's,
1: effective only, it's effective only when the husband is paid for.
0: Very good. Sota water only works if the husband is a faithful husband. If the husband is also a cheater, then the sotah water doesn't work. And Rabban Yuchanan ben Zakkai simply took out this whole process of sotah because the men were just as unfaithful as their spouses were and why should he get involved here and kill half of them? The sotah water wouldn't work then. And because of that, Rabban Yuchanan ben Zakkai was responsible for this reform, essentially, of getting rid of the sota process from the Ben Amikdash. The same was done if you remember the Eglah Rufa and the murderers whenever there were too many murderers so he got rid of this. The Mishnah there mentions a name. If you want to look up the Mishnah Sota 99 the Mishnah there mentions a name of another person in conjunction with murderers. You look up his name and he was one of the leaders of the rabbinic establishment not rabbinic establishment but of these zealous groups that were killing people in the times of the second temple. A Very interesting personality. Pi'ilu tov Sanhedrin it. one thing that sticks out so much about the conversation, the leadership of Rabbi Yuchanan ben Zakkai and the Sanhedrin, 9? 9, 9. 9, chapter 9, Mishnah 9 that he began having many arguments with the members of the Sanhedrin who were Sadducees Bidvarav because he was very successful many times one of the main things that made Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai stick out in the Sanhedrin was his debates with the Sadducees. That often Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was victorious and his opinion overruled the opinion of the Tzedukim and became Halakha. And in commemoration of the day in which Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai defeated the Sadducees, that day became a national holiday. behesped that was forbidden to mourn on. It was a day that was forbidden to fast on, to eulogize or to fast. And if you look in the book Mgilat Ta'anit, it's listed as one of the national holidays of the Jewish people. One of the major debates that took place between Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and the Sadducees that Tzedukim always believed that Shavuot happens always must fall out on a Sunday. Why? From where did Tzedukim understand that to be the case? It says, from the day after the Shabbat. We know that to mean, in rabbinic tradition, the day after Pesach. But they believe it's the Shabbat afterwards. And because of that, for them, Shavuot is always on a Sunday. And this is one of those things that the rabbis, Rabban, Nechon, Zakai defeated the Tzidokim about. In regards to the inheritance of a daughter, other other arguments. He also had a dispute with the Tzedokim in regards to the, the status, the pure sta- purity or impurity status of the Holy Writings. Rabbi Yuchanan ben Zakkai dedicated much of his time to discrediting the arguments of the Tzedokim and establishing one law in the Jewish people. In the spirit of the Pharisees and particularly in the spirit of his rabbi Hillel and the yeshiva of Bet Hillel. When he was involved in this mission of uniting the Jewish people around one code of law, he did not hesitate. He was not afraid of any person. According to the halakha, as understood by our rabbis, Rishai Kohen the Kohen whose job is to burn the red heifer. Remember, the Kohen goes to burn the red heifer. And then those ashes make other people pure. According to the Chachamin, the Kohen who burns the red heifer, he's allowed to be of a minor impurity. He has to be pure, but of a minor impurity, it wouldn't hold him back. (laughs) According to the Tzedokim, though, the Kohen who burns the red heifer, has to be completely pure. zedokim, and in order to remove this opinion of the tzidokim, kohen the Pirushim would intentionally make the Kohen who's burning the red heifer slightly impure. And they tell a story bekohen Gadol There was a Kohen Gadol who was a sadducee that he immersed in the mikveh and waited till after sunset, those who are learning the B'rachot, you'll recognize this word, his son set for him. He was on his way to go burn the red heifer. And Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai knew that he's coming and he's pure. And he put his two hands on this Kohen gadol. Why would Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai put his two hands on the Kohen Gadol? The Tzedokim, they say the Kohen Gadol has to be completely pure when he offers a sacrifice. The Pirushim say he has to be mostly pure. Minor impurity is not a big deal. So what would they do? They would intentionally defile the Kohen in terms of purity when he would go bring the red heifer. But this Kohen Gadol was a Tzadokhi, so he counted the proper days, he went to the Mikveh, he's now pure, and he's about to offer the red heifer, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai goes over to him and puts his hands on him, why? Take a guess, very good, in order to impurify him, and he says to him, oh, my master, the Kohen Look how fitting you are to be the Kohen Gadol. He's busy putting all his tuma on him. Go back and immerse. So he went down to the mikveh, immersed himself, and came back. And once he went up, Saram lo no, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai injured his ear. Why? Yeah, then he wouldn't be able to offer the offering at all. Amar lo ben He tells him, ben Zakkai, You just wait until I get my hands on you. When I have a moment, I'm going to take it out on you. Amar lo, Don't worry. When you have time, if you have time, you'll find me. Lo shahash, Three days did not pass. Ad until they buried that Kohen Gadol. See, unique story here between Rabban Yuchanan ben Zakkai and the Tzidokim. I'm sure there's agadic value to the story also. For right now though, the story is intended to show you that Rabban Yuchanan ben Zakai stopped literally at nothing in order to bring the Pirushim's ways to the Benamikdash and drive out the Tzadokim from the Benamikdash. Ba'aviv lifnei rabban yucham ben zakai emar lo lefna bani. The father of rabban yucham the father of this man, this Kohen Gadol came to rabban yucham zakai and said, yeah, now my son has time. Now my son has time. Kanirae, bekesher im avadzotu hatiburit hu mezdaren im vehadmonim Somehow, because of his public office, you find many stories of Abani Khulam ben Zakai with distinguished individuals, even those who are not Jewish from other countries. And there are many questions that these non Jewish dignitaries and officials ask Abani Khulam ben Zakai and argue with him about. They give you a list here of a number of places where Abadi Khulam ben Zakai is engaging with non Jewish leaders about different Jewish issues. I don't know if I'm going to finish the life of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai today. I'm going to try. Rak meat on page 500. Rak meat adenu. We have very few of the halachic rulings of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in our possession today. Clearly, it appears she'rov hechotav nishtaqu b'divrei beti'nei lasheramad dorosh. It seems that most of the stances of Aban Yochanan bin Zakai are simply absorbed into whatever we refer to as the teachings of Bet Hilel, which he was the rosh hashiva of. He was the head of Bet Hilel, and very often you say Bet Hilel says X, Bet Shammai says Y. Bet Hilel is probably just the opinion of Aban Yochanan Ben Zakai. There are very few standalone opinions of Aban Yochanan Ben Zakai that we have in halakha. מרבית מהמרוב שنشקרו בידנו באגדה הם מהמרוב המישקפי מתרוחו התורה ומשרו אליה. Most of the teachings that we have in Agadah from him show the high moral caliber and spiritual status that he had. נמאל התורה הידל לרבו haya רבי נחמן בן זכאי. Rabbi Nachman ben Zakai was loyal to the teaching of his rabbi Hillel, ohev shalom to love peace, ve'rodef shalom to pursue peace, ohev da beriyot he loved humanity ומכורבנה התורה and he would bring them close to the Torah his teaching was in Masechet Avot if you have studied much Torah don't consider yourself so special because of that because you were created to live for the study of the Torah a few weeks ago I gave a shiur here on Shabbat all about the importance of being an educated Jew how you can be an ignoramus and also be Jewish and that ignorant Jews make for the worst type of Jew that we have. Not people who are, unfortunately, ignorant because they have no choice. People who have the time and opportunities to learn Torah, but they choose to just be like everybody else, to just be sheep instead of being leaders, to not own their own Judaism. Somebody here brought a guest. I don't love when people bring guests to my shiul, and that's the truth, unless I know them or they know us. And uh, my students ask a friend, Oh, what do you think about the shiulim? Oh, this rabbi has such a, quote, chip on his shoulder. That's okay, I'm not offended. But it's very interesting to me. Instead of somebody being motivated to learn more, the feeling is, why are you trying to get us to own our Judaism? Why should we learn more? Why would we want to be knowledgeable? That's so arrogant of you to assume that to be a good Jew, you have to be an educated Jew. Imagine if I replaced the word Jew with anything else. To be a good doctor, you should have been an educated doctor. To be a good lawyer, you should have gone to law school. To be a good chemist, you should have passed some degree in chemistry. Why only to be Jewish, you can just be stupid and be Jewish? Every other thing, every other place of stature that you have to work for, everyone assumes you have to work for it. Except for being Jewish. Being Jewish, you're just born Jewish and that's it. You should know the phobia that many Jews have. It's a phobia of those who choose Judaism. Those who convert to Judaism. It's most likely rooted in their inadequacy as Jews on their own. I don't have any substance to my Judaism. I don't know Judaism, I never learned Judaism, I don't keep kosher, I don't keep Shabbat, I don't don't learn Torah, I don't go to classes, I don't pray at the Bidah Knesset, but I'm Jewish because I was born Jewish, that's what they told me. All of a sudden comes somebody who wasn't born Jewish, doesn't come from a Jewish family, spends their whole day learning Torah, they come to the Bidah Knesset every Shabbat, they keep kasher better than you ever could dream about. All of a sudden, they're a threat to you. You know why? Because they show you that Judaism is your actions. I'm taking you out of your comfort zone by saying I'm what a good Jew looks like. Not somebody whose mother was Jewish. That's just somebody whose mother was Jewish. al kol adam. The attitude that Rabban had to every person. <laughs> Was an attitude of, of respect, an attitude of, uh, of gratitude. He treated people as precious people. Who hayam makdim shalom lechol adam. Rabbis record that Rabbi ben Zakai said hello to every person, not regular hello. Makdim. What does makdim mean? When the word konem kadima. He would, he would preempt the greeting. He would say shalom to them before they even had a chance to say shalom. You know, you walk down the street and there's like this, this space where you don't yet say hello to a person. But as they get closer to you, there's a certain point at which you do say hello to somebody. And normally, you either wait for that person to say hello or you preempt the hello. I don't know what really dictates whether you say hello first or they say hello first. Unless you're in New York and then nobody says hello to anybody and they just walk right past each other. But at least here, from what I've seen on the streets, you know, COVID changes a little bit. People are not really, maybe now they're a little better, but in the beginning of COVID, people didn't talk to each other in the street. You walk by people, they would walk away from you, like, hello is not going to hurt you from the other side of the street. What will happen? At a certain point, I stopped saying hello. I knew that, unless I know people, because I saw they were getting uncomfortable. So even sometimes, I don't care what you think, some, sometimes I walk with a mask in my pocket, and I see somebody coming, and I see they're being very, so I put on a mask on just to be able to say hello to them. But it was what it feels like. Everyone's a leper. That's what it feels like. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai would go out of his way to be the one to greet everybody first. Who did he greet first? Look what the Gemara says. V'afilu nochri bashuk. Even the idol worshippers in the marketplace, he would greet them first. I mean, not just the Jewish people. He was the chief rabbi. But every single person he passed by, he wouldn't greet first. Kivod ha hayayakar haya yakar Ben Respecting human beings was a very great value in the eyes of Rabbi Muhammad Zatai. I want to tell you a story, maybe a little amuse you the story. I used to live in a building in Jerusalem on a street called Plugata Kotel. It's right by the Kotel. You probably walked by my building if you didn't know. It's right across from where those pillars are in the ground in the old city. And there's a public restroom that many tour groups stop. So that means during the whole month of Elul, and you try to go to the bathroom. And the whole night, I try, try to go to sleep. Everyone's going to the bathroom under your building. And they come, you know, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. They come with bongo drums. The whole night. And they're, they're crazy, screaming, howling in the streets. They're assuming that they do stichot one night a year. I have to do 40 nights of stichot with the hooligans under my building. But that's part of the price that you know you're going to sign up for when people come to do stichot with you in the old city of Jerusalem. One day I was walking with my, I think it was my students. I was doing the Shabbat meal for my students. I walk them to the shuk, to the market in Machane Huda, and I'm walking through the. There's an open shuk and like a little more of a closed shuk where the vegetables are. I'm in the vegetable shuk, and all of a sudden, somebody grabs me in a bear hold from behind, and a very thick Arabic accent tells me, Shalom, Shalom! And I'm being held by somebody by his accent, presumably an Arab in Jerusalem, in front of my students. I won't lie to you that like Rabbi Akiva, martyrdom images were going through my mind right now at this point. Clearly, HaKadosh Baruch didn't think I was so special at that moment in time. And I turn around, and I don't know who this guy is. For the life of me, I don't know who he is. And he tells me, you don't recognize me? I said, because I'm not wearing my uniform. I said, if you have a uniform, I know who you are. He says, I am the guy who works for the city. I clean the bathrooms under your building. He said, every day you go to pray, and you know, back in Yerushalayim, we're a little more righteous than we are here. You'd go pray, and you'd be wearing your talit and your tefillin, and you'd always stop in the door of the bathroom to say good morning to me, and then you'd walk to the, to the synagogue. He said, you're the only person in all the years that I've been working there who stops to tell me good morning. For me, this is just a, since I learned this gemara as a high school student, it became something that I do. I try to say as much as I can hello to the people around me. I don't care who they are and where they're from, now, even in Yerushalayim, so you're dealing with other nations. At the end of the day, even though on a national level, there may be what needs to be worked out, but on a personal level, there is still much that could be bridged. And so I said, Shalom Aleichem to him every morning, I guess, good morning, that's what he told me. And only after that, did I realized, you don't know what saying good morning to somebody could really do. He, know, he could recognize me in the middle of a busy shuk on a Friday, full of thousands of people, as the one guy who said hello to him in the morning. This is a, I was once walking on the streets of Yerushalayim. Like I said, in Yerushalayim, we're a little more righteous than here. When I was in Yerushalayim, I would often pray at the netz at sunrise. It's easy to pray in netz in Yerushalayim. There's so many places to pray. And, and even in Yerushalayim, so even though I was a rabbi in a yeshiva, I would first pray on my own netz. And then I would go later to do tefillah all over again with my students in yeshiva. That's I was walking, it's very early in Netz. It means you're walking to Tefillah when it's still pretty dark outside. I'm walking to nets. I come to a little alley in the Jewish quarter. I'm I'm the only person there. And it's a long, narrow alley. And as I'm coming to the alley, I see a cross from me. It's, you know, Ramadan sometimes falls out. And it falls out all over the year. But this year it fell out, Roshanah. And I see it coming opposite from me is a group of maybe 15 or 20, Arab men who are coming back from the Temple Mount uh, with rugs on their shoulders, dressed in, in traditional garb. Listen, I'm not a paranoid person, but things happen, especially at this time of day, especially in this part of the world, especially in the old city, and especially during Ramadan, especially. And there was nowhere really to go. And I, I, I just, what am I going to do? I'm going to walk by and keep a low profile and hope nobody. I walk by, and this group stops me. And the older person in the group turns to me and he says, Shana Tova. Have a happy, happy New Year. I said, thank you so much. He said, have a good day. And then I stopped and I thought for a second, can you imagine? I can't bring world peace. Then I can't, I know, it's, not my, it's not something I could do on my own. But you can imagine if we lived in a world where somebody could just stop and wish you a Shana Tova. Put everything aside. You have no need to be scared. I could say Shana Tova. You could say Shana Tova. I could, we lived in a world like that. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai dreamt of a world in which the basic saying hello, good morning to every person was a value that he brought to the world. He loved people. You know, I think, for right now, let me just do, Two more minutes. I want to finish the idea of loving people. And maybe next week, we'll, we'll finish with. There's no reason to rush this. Let's leave it on this note. Rabbi Nechom Zakai is teaching us. As the rabbi who is transitioning us from Second Temple to exile, there are values he's giving us. Certain values, dedication to limu Torah. Learning Torah is a stable thing in our life. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter if you live in a place where nobody else cares of learning Torah, your learning of Torah will anchor you in a way that no other religious experience can anchor you. And anyone who is learning, and all of you here that are with me are learning, you know that to be true. Every sushi and schmooze in the world, or menorah and martini event, or, or beer and, and, I don't know, give me another thing with a bee. I don't know, cookies and Kabbalah, whatever you're going to be doing and signing up for, all of those events don't do to you what sitting down consistently and owning your Jewish life and, and future can do by Limu Torah. Limu Torah is the anchor of the world. Next, Rabbali ben Zakai was not afraid. Once he knew he was right, he would debate even, even the most strong forces in Jerusalem, other members of the Sanhedrin, To make sure that the way that he understood Torah was going to be given to the Jewish people, he wasn't afraid to engage with non Jews, dignitaries of other countries. I don't have to apologize to you because of my faith. There's a fascinating story. I don't remember all the details. So I uh, actually, I think I do remember the details. I think Chacham Fa'ur, in his beginning of his book, The Gospels According to the Jews, If anyone knows what I'm talking about, I would love if you could send me a picture to send to the group. Khakhan Fa'ur mentions that he was sitting on an airplane next to an Iranian diplomat of sorts. And this Iranian diplomat turns to him. Abu Yosef, do you know where the story is? Have you read it before? Yeah? Could you find it for us and read it to us? Oh, Marlene, whoever.
1: I'm actually just reading the book
0: now. It's in the introduction. At the beginning, it's like somewhere in the introduction. If somebody could find it in a, in a few seconds, I would love if you could read us the story. If I remember, it's in the bottom right of a page, but... Uh, it's an introduction of the Gospel according to the Jews. You, you're reading it too, no? Are you starting? If not, I'll paraphrase. Okay, let me paraphrase. You, you keep looking, if you find it, you'll let me know. This Iranian official turns to come and they start talking, I'm a rabbi, diplomat. So tell me, you found it, you find it? Wait, so read it to us, but loud, loud and clear so that my microphone could hear you. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes, perfect. Okay.
1: So let's see here, uh, he's, either, um, he's on a plane. Start
0: start from the beginning of the story.
1: Yeah, I'm looking for the the start of the story here. I see it in the middle here. Yeah. Okay. He says, a fundamental trait of Sephardic tradition is Jewish national pride. Sephardim never permitted Gentiles to trample upon Jewish national reputation or to treat the Jewish nation as some sort of international pariah needing to justify herself in a court of justice. Bahim Palachi, one of the foremost rabbinic authorities in modern time, pointed out that humility, which is a much-prized virtue of Jewish ethics, must be reserved for internal relationships between Jew and Jew. A Jew should treat Gentiles neither as superiors nor as inferiors, but as equals, even when dealing with the highest aristocracy. So he says, However, when I find myself in the company of Gentile aristocracy, he wrote Rabbi Palachi writes, I feel a great as aristocrat myself, because we are the children of Abraham Itaqnyako. Okay, um, here he goes. Are you aware that at the time of Jesus, Israel was an autonomous state? I asked an Iranian diplomat.
0: Wait, no, no, you skipped part of the story.
1: I, I, yeah, it looks like I did skip it. OK, here it is, here it is. OK, I found it, I found it, the, the beginning, the beginning.
0: Did the Jews kill Jesus? That's the question. Yeah, but where does the story start? Tell me with the start of the story.
1: In section three, we examine a key question affecting Jewish relationship with Christians. I relate an encounter I once had with an Iranian diplomat. good. It took place on a flight from Istanbul to Tel Aviv in the month of July during the mid-60s. At the time, Turkish Airlines did not have a kosher meal program. Nonetheless, I approached someone at the counter and asked him whether he could arrange for me a kosher meal, since otherwise I would not be able to eat. The person in charge was Armenian. He was married to a Jewish girl and was sympathetic to my request. we, We spoke for a while, and then he made a note of my request. When I asked him how was he going to get me a kosher meal, he responded, don't worry, I know what to do. To my surprise, when it was time to check in for my flight, I discovered that he'd upgraded my ticket to first class. I got a window seat and next to me sat a gentleman. He was an Iranian diplomat stopping for a short time in Israel. We spoke for a while. When they began to serve the food, I received two beautiful trays. One contained a green salad with olives, lemon oil, uh, salt and pepper and uh, on the side for garnish. The other tray contained an assortment of fruits. Turkish fruits and vegetables are delicious. I don't know whether it was because I was so hungry or because of the excitement of the situation, but I still <laughs> think it was the best meal I had in any flight. Sorry, El Ali. Apparently, the Iranian diplomat was touched when I told him that I kept a kosher diet. After the meal, he told me, you appear to be learned. There is a question about Judaism, which I've never could find an adequate answer. Perhaps you could enlighten me on this matter. He then proceeded. How could you justify
0: the Jewish killing of Jesus? That's the question. Does the Iranian yeah. diplomat ask, how can you justify the Jewish killing of Jesus? Yes. Yeah.
1: So he responds. Are you aware that at the time Jesus, are you, are you aware that at the time of Jesus, Israel was an autonomous state? I asked the Iranian diplomat. Of course, he responded. Did you know that Jesus was a Jew and a citizen of that state? Again, the answer was in the affirmative. Now, how would you respond to a foreign government or, or a foreign citizen demanding that you justify the right of an Iranian court of law to try an Iranian citizen? The same is true of Jesus. The Jewish people were and are an autonomous nation. Jesus was Jewish and therefore whatever transpired between him and the Jewish people is purely an internal matter. A Jew may indeed have the right to ask me about it, but he is a member of the Jewish nation but to respond to the demand of a non-Jewish entity on this matter would impugn our autonomy and sovereignty as the nation of Israel. It is the best answer I've ever heard
0: to responded. Thank you, Rabbi Yosef. Now, I'm certain that story brings along with it its own challenges and difficulties that you'd like to discuss with me at a different time. But this is a classically Sephardic attitude to this answer. And this is exactly the attitude that I believe Rabban Yohanan bin Zakai would have if he was asked the same question. We are an autonomous people with an autonomous legal system. He was a citizen of our people, and I don't owe you an answer. If you were a member of my people, maybe. But you wouldn't expect that an Iranian diplomat could question why an American court did something. So why do you expect that we should see this any, any differently? Nonetheless, even though Abani Khawad-Zakai had this attitude, he was not an arrogant man. And you see this in the way he treated other people that even the person who was an idolater in the market, he went over to say hello to them first. He opened the doors for his students. He was the person who was always showing kindness to other people. And Rabban Yonchanan ben is a leader whose courage does not get rid of his compassion and his humility. And Hashem, next week on Monday, we'll take apart the second part of the life of Rabban Yonchanan ben Zakkai.